One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to podcast like it's 1999. I'm your host Phil Liskov, and with us today, past and future and present guest uh, Chandler Levac. Did I say that right? Did I say that wrong? Uh, yeah, you <laughs> nailed it. Nailed it. I nailed it. Great, fantastic. Uh, writer, director, filmmaker, critic at the Globe and Mail. She uh, was previously on for Guinevere, the woefully underrated Guinevere. You should all listen to that episode. Um, and today we are talking about episode 209, Old Dogs, New Dicks, is the name of this episode. Um, so prepare yourself for lots of discussions on uh, circumcisions and what have you. But um, before we do all of that, let's rewind a little bit, Chandler. Um, when did you, did you first watch this show in the late 90s? Were you a, uh, a later uh, jumping on board? How did, that, how did the show come into your life? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I was maybe in high school or middle school when it first started and my parents were really into it. And weirdly, it became a show that I watched with my parents, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, okay. um, but, but me, my mom and my dad would all watch it on like Bravo every Friday night when it aired together. So you were watching it live. Did, did you jump in at the beginning or was it something that, that you sort of, do, do you vaguely have any recollection as to when you got yeah, on board? I don't no. quite remember. I just yeah. remember there was a period of my life where my parents were just like constantly watching Sex and the City. And of course it was such a like watershed moment for, you know, the culture at the time. Like no one had ever seen a TV show like that before. Right. Um, I still don't know if anyone has seen one since really. <laughs> um, but uh 
Yeah. So, I mean, all, and all the episodes kind of run together in my mind, like sure. season wise, but I, I'm sure we were watching it chronologically, but then I think there was a period where just episodes of Sex and the City were on TV, like for like Constantly, six yeah. blocks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, similar to, to you, um, being in Canada, uh, we did not get the show, um, day and date. It was like there was a delay in terms of when it got up to Canada. So if I remember correctly, I don't know that I watched the show week to week. I feel like I waited for the box sets until like pretty deep into its run um, and then perhaps watched it week to week. I just I just remember that it was one of the first like binge shows for me where like I'd buy the box set and I would just like binge through it Um, all sort of around the same time. Yeah, the boxes yeah. were huge. Yes. Yeah, like when I worked at Blockbuster, that was like everyone was like, "Where is Sex of the City season two, disc four? I need to know what happens yeah. to Aiden was- and Carrie." I was just going to say the same thing. I was working at video stores as well. And, you know, they generally speaking, they'd open up for rent, like, you know, four of them maybe. And they were always out and people were always chasing the discs. And again, this is like, you know, to our listeners, perhaps that uh, are our younger listeners, um, you know, this stuff wasn't streaming anywhere. There was no way for you to watch this stuff. You either saw it when it aired or you were able to wrangle these DVDs when, when they eventually came out. It, it was, it's, it was a different time. Yeah, I mean, even that was like a thrilling new concept, the fact that you could watch episodes of a show on DVD and you Mm -hmm. could actually see like a whole season of a show at your own like leisure. Like that had never happened before. Well, and it's also, it's it's funny you bring that up. And and these are obviously very different shows to Sex and City, but I remember two shows that sort of... uh, that lived on their box sets were Alias and 24. Those were both sort of like deeply serialized shows that you couldn't really jump into on television, uh, you know, mid-season or mid-stream because you'd have no idea what was going on. So those box sets became huge in terms of getting people to jump into future seasons and being able to sort of help with its, uh, with their syndications and what have you. But yeah, I mean, the, the DVD box sets were, there was a time there where they were a very, very, very big deal. But... Um, so this show, uh, do you feel like, you know, being, a, you know, a, a, obviously a, a female writer, director and writing female characters and what have you, was this show influential in your writing in any way? I mean, if these are, these are very empowered, independent women for the most part. Did you feel like it was a part of your, you know, style? I don't know. I think it's just like <laughs> a part of my soul. Like I honestly have consumed <laughs> so much sex in the city in my life that, mm-hmm. um, I don't even know where like I begin and it ends. And I also feel <laughs> like there's like, there's no other show that I right. think is more attractive to women that women actually want to watch that women have strong feelings about that actually kind of taps into kind of insecurities and in relationships and complaining sure. about the people that they're dating. And you know, as well, just about kind of their professional lives and it's a great portrait of female friendship how that is kind of the dominant like love story for all of these women in their life. Um, and of course it's a great portrait of New York city, <laughs> which is a character so, in the show. You could say. Oh uh, yeah. No, people, people, <laughs> people definitely say that. Um, so I, I'm curious as well, you know, being obviously a, uh, a film critic in your own right as well. I mean, how do you feel or where do you feel like this show fits in sort of rom-com canon? I mean, it's, it's, 
it's sort of, I mean, it, 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 it plays into some of those tropes, but then it also tries to kind of deconstruct those tropes and fuck with them. Um, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's, it's self-referential, or at least it understands what it's doing. And yet at the same time, you know, in the previous episode, we have sort of this Miranda running out in the rain to kiss Steve. Like it's a, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it still um, understands what we long for in terms of some of these I don't want to say cliches, but the, you know, the, the, the tropes that we hope to achieve in our lives. Um, and yet at the same time is sort of mocking it. So I, I, how do you feel like about that? Well, like in this episode alone, there's like three or four grand romantic gestures that just mm-hmm. happen in this, in this episode itself. Um, you could argue that uh, Mike getting circumcised is a grand <laughs> romantic you could. gesture for sure. It's, <laughs> it's a gesture. Oh yeah. Um, it's a gesture. Uh, and, and, and Steve telling Miranda to like, look at the moon. Um, uh, and, uh, big showing up at her place unannounced. Like those are all kinds of bread and butter for, uh, romantic comedies. And, you know, it's a great show about kind of like the sacrifices that we want to make to show people that we love them. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's just like catnip. But um, in terms of whether or not Sex in the City is a romantic comedy, you know, it's interesting because in some ways it's like a character study of mm-hmm. like three very different neurotic New York women um, and their friendships. But they all do have these kind of revolving door romantic plot lines with, with different guys and, and all of them have like the big love of their life, you know, that is kind of central fugal to like their plot and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, you could argue it. I guess I don't think of it as a rom-com because it feels like it's also like such a deeply cynical, um, unromantic show a lot of the time. I mean, you would never have a rom-com about like, um, some of these plot lines that are happening in this episode. But No, I, I, I totally agree. I feel like it's, you know, and I've talked about this on, on, on past episodes, um, but I, I do think that, you know, Carrie's an anti-hero in, in so many ways. I mean, I, and, and, and I, quite frankly, the, the four women, the four leads are anti-heroes all sort of at different times in terms of sort of um, their own flaws and the messiness that, that you know, that they're, they're human. Um, and that in and of itself sort of steps outside the rom-com bubble a little bit too. You know what I mean? I think that, that, that romantic comedies, not to say that there aren't three-dimensional characters that exist within those movies, but I, I wouldn't say that they necessarily are anti-heroes. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily... I mean, Carrie does stuff that's just plain shitty. <laughs> she does bad things sometimes. Um, I don't know that, that necessarily romantic comedy characters have that same lane, but I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, I mean, Carrie is a terrible person. She's a narcissist. <laughs> she makes bad puns. The best thing about her and Big's relationship is that they're both horrible sociopathic narcissists and they take each other off the market and they're you know they won't have children so that's good because at least that like saves the world another version of them wow well i look forward to talking (laughs) about big with you especially in this episode because (laughs) i think he's kind of a prick in a good chunk of this episode but um oh yeah 
so I'll give a brief synopsis for our listeners. Uh, Carrie tries to get Big to stop checking out other women. When they're together, Miranda and Steve's opposite schedules become a problem. Samantha runs into an old hockey player boyfriend who is now a blonde drag queen named Samantha. And Charlotte is turned off when she dates a man who's not circumcised. Carrie points out to Charlotte that 85% of men are not circumcised, while Samantha claims to, have, claims to prefer uncircumcised men. Old Dog's <laughs> New Dicks aired on August 1st, 1999. It was written by Jenny Bix, directed by Alan Taylor. And Vulture's list has it at number 82 of 96 episodes, saying it's a grab bag of oh. Sex and the City issues. Uh, Big keeps checking out other women while uh, with Carrie, Kel surprise. Uh, Miranda and Steve struggle against their opposite schedules. Charlotte is, sh- uh, is chagrined to find her new bows uncircumcised, and Samantha runs into a boyfriend who's a drag queen. The last one bumps this episode up a few notches. I would argue it bumps it down a few notches, but that's just me. Um, we can talk about that uh, as we get to it. Um, but uh, are you frozen? Can you hear me? <laughs> I'm, oh, there I'm you are. still there here. You are. Yeah. Okay, great, great, great. <coughs> um, <clears throat> so I just wanted to ask, let's sort of work our way through the individual storylines. Um, into it. Samantha, ironically, doesn't really have much of an episode, really. She sort of, um, she talks about how she's all about circumcision, uh, uncircumcised men, refers to it as a Tootsie Pop, I think, or Tootsie Roll or some sort of a candy. Um, and that uh, it, it's, uh, yes. it's great. Um, and she uh, and she bumps into an ex who uh, used to used to be a hockey player, might still be a hockey player, is now a drag queen, and he's going by the name Samantha. Um, let's let's do this one first because it's the smallest, and I and I would argue perhaps the most problematic. Um, what are your thoughts about the way they handle drag queens in this episode? Well, I don't think Sex in the City has ever had a real, like, kosher relationship to um, the gay Anything? community. <laughs> okay, um, sure, sure. <laughs> sure. You know, there's, like, famously the episode is extremely transphobic where Samantha's living. She moves to the meatpacking district, and there's, like, a bunch of um, female um, transgender Trans-gender women. People. yeah, yeah. Hanging out in her, you know, her neighborhood that are like loud and obnoxious and stuff. And I think she uses some inoffensive slurs or offensive slurs with them and stuff. Correct. Um, yeah. In this episode, I mean, you could argue that this guy maybe who's being Samantha, uh, this is like the identity that he wants to, you know, yeah. claim for yeah. himself. Sure. Or, you know, he's just, Samantha's so iconic that, um, <laughs> I mean, I think if you dated Samantha, you would want to be Samantha. I, I, I don't doubt that. I think it's, I mean, first of all, the, the, the transgender episode is, is horrific and terrible. Yeah, and, and this show, and, and I will say, you know, I've, we, I've discussed this with other, other guests as well. The, the show is a little dated at times. It's incredibly white. Uh, when it does have black characters, it doesn't handle them particularly well. Mm-hmm. Um, the show is, uh, you know, just some things about it haven't aged well. I say that by and large, the show has aged pretty well, but there are definitely episodes and, and definitely characters uh, that jump out at you as sort of glaringly not okay. Um, I don't necessarily think that the drag queen storyline in this episode falls into that category per se, but like just the way Carrie says like, Kyle has two mommies is like weirdly looking down its nose at it, which I'm just not sure how I feel about that. 
Yeah, and you would think Samantha would have been like partying at the limelight with RuPaul in the 80s and Michelle Visage. She would know this community. (laughs) All these people would. Like Carrie would be with like Jean Basquiat and like, you know, all of these people. So I don't understand their kind of antiquated relationship to drag queens. Um, And they're at this like awesome camp drag queen bingo place, which kind of looks like their like usual spot. And like, so... Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I think like, also, wh- it's weird. They just also didn't have enough fun with this actually really fun premise. Like, I think of all the storylines, I'm more interested in this ex-boyfriend of Samantha's that, you know, became a drag queen yeah. that is an homage to Samantha. That's more interesting, actually, in my opinion, than Charlotte yeah. an uncircumcised man who was penis like a carpe. <laughs> Personally. I, I, um, I, 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 I fully 100% agree with you. I think that it... Um, when when it cuts to them at playing bingo at this drag queen thing, I was like, this is fun. Like, this is really, yeah. this is a fun environment. I can totally see these four women having a great time there. And yet at the same time, they don't actually seem to be having a particularly good time. It's odd. It's like it's at odds with itself a little bit in terms of like the character's enjoyment. Maybe, I don't know. I, I just, it, it, it's it's odd. Um it, it plays into the theme of the episode, which is, can you actually change a person? That's sort of the notion right. of, can you change somebody? Um, and clearly, uh, Brad, I think was the guy's name, if I'm not mistaken, who goes by yeah. Samantha. Um, you know, Samantha seems sort of, I, I, I don't know what the best way to describe it other than sort of like horrified, quite frankly. Um and then the, the 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 button on the scene is her saying, "I'm so much prettier than he is," um, is also just a weird way out of the scene. Like it's just it 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 just all rings very uh, tone deaf, yeah, which is not generally it, how the show feels. It actually would be so funny and interesting to have maybe revealing of Samantha too to like have dated this person who then wanted to become her. Maybe I want to see where she goes mm-hmm. to his apartment and teaches him how to do her makeup or mm-hmm. gives her him advice on, on how to, you know, style himself more like Samantha. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see an iconic performance of them both on stage lip syncing to express yourself by Madonna. Like <laughs> yeah. it would have been so fun. To have, You've written you know. a great storyline here, Chandler. Um, I, I, I want that too. I also think that um, generally speaking, this show does a, does a very good job of juggling four storylines. All four of them generally get their own storyline. Um, and, and I guess they do get better at that in season three onwards. So in two, I've seen them sort of uh, do three rather than four storylines. But, and I get that it's a real estate issue, but when I think about the scene that Charlotte has, when she goes out on a date with the guy after he's been circumcised and they both really want to have sex, but he can't, I'm like, I don't need that scene. Like that's a real estate (laughs) thing. You, You could have cut that scene entirely um, and given that to Samantha and, 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 and sort of done something more interesting with that. So it is what it is. I mean, these are, these, but it's just, it's the, it's the least um, effective storyline in the episode, I think. Um, then we get uh, Charlotte. She's dating a, a restaurant critic who uh, is uncircumcised and she's horrified by this uh, revelation. Um, she says it's like dating. It, it looked like a Sharpay and I don't want a penis that can be its own 
carrying case or something like that. Like just a lot of, uh, a lot of jokes about, about foreskin. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, are you there? I feel like you froze again. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Okay. You're there. Okay. That's fine. Um, so I guess my question to you is this circumcision storyline feels very sort of, um, this show walks a fine line of, of not, it doesn't want to be audacious for the sake of being audacious, right? Like I feel like it's always trying to say something. Um, and I do think that this speaks to theme because ultimately this guy does get a circumcision for Charlotte, which is bold to say the least. Um, but it feels a little bit kind of, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's a little bit of a cheap laugh. I don't know. How did you feel about it? Well, yeah, always up for a circumcision debate. No, I don't care for that. Um, yeah. These aren't things you care about, Chandler? It's, it's, so, it's so weird um, that this is a storyline. And it, it's kind of like, it's weird because it's such a sex-positive show, but in so many ways and so many episodes, they're so sex-negative. Like the whole, you know, first season of Charlotte with this with her and there's famously like this debate about like going up the butt in a, in a cab. And, and that's like, was like the first kind of like uh, water cooler moment of the show. And um, you know, sex and city has like tackled literally every sexual problem that you can have or quirk in a relationship, you know, to the point of like just ridiculousness. But I don't know, is like foreskin really a deal breaker? Charlotte says that she's from Connecticut, so she's never encountered it before. But she's also such a wasp. I mean, wouldn't she also be dating um, circum- uncircumcised men? I don't. This is what I think. No, about. no, it, no. It's, it's just completely fair. Well, that's that's sort of the thing too. That kind of. I mean, listen. I, I don't. I don't know where people land on being pro or or against uh, circumcision. Um, I. I I find it sort of surprising that Charlotte has never encountered one, considering yeah. that it does feel like there's a fair amount of them out in the world. Um, you know, I just also feel like her vernacular, like Brooks Brothers wasps, that she would have been, you know, encountering. Like at least mm-hmm. one of those guys would have been um, uncircumcised. But yeah, it's. I mean, part of it is, and and we see this a lot more in season one and two than we do in future seasons when they try to step away from, and I don't want to say that Charlotte ever is a caricature or that Samantha's ever a caricature, but they hem very close to those things in season one and two. And they really kind of get away from it once they kind of dig a little deeper into like why Charlotte is the way she is. And every now and then in these earlier episodes, I found myself Charlotte in particular being a character where it's like, let's go broad with her. Let's like make her very sort of wide eyed, doe eyed sort of like, uh, and this is just one of those examples where they're just like, Charlotte's never seen an uncircumcised penis before. There's a (laughs) storyline. And you're like, sure. (laughs) Like, sure. Um, It's it's fine. That she she did did now, you know, it's a coming of age story in so many ways. You know, this man makes the ultimate sacrifice for Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, a circumcision at that age is, that's a choice. Yes, that's deeply insane. Um, <laughs> it's deeply insane. Um, so the episode, sorry, uh, the episode basically opens, Carrie and Big go for a walk. Carrie doesn't know how to feel about him still looking at other women. 
um, which he's doing uh, not particularly subtly. Um, <laughs> Carrie is wearing a dress that looks like it's made from old curtains. I don't quite, I don't quite get it, but that's. Oh, I thought order. it was beautiful. I like it more than her weird um, Oscar the Grouch outfit at the end. It's the Cookie Monster, and oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I like the Cookie Monster tank top. So I guess you know, there you go. Um, but Carrie and Samantha go talk, go for a walk, and they talk about Big's wandering eyes. And basically, Samantha's like, "Listen, uh, you can't change anybody. Um, you know, it's not worth you know making a big deal out of this." Uh, and then um, Miranda is struggling with dating Steve. He's got bartending hours. She's got lawyer hours. And he's showing up at 2 a.m. She's falling asleep. They're waking up in the morning. He wants to have morning sex and cuddle. And she's like, I have to go to work. And they're just on opposite schedules. Um, and uh, then basically Charlotte, uncircumcised penis, blah, blah, blah. Carrie and Big go to dinner. And I fucking hated this scene. Um, I know. Basically, Big and her go to dinner. Big is told by a waitress that he can't smoke a cigar. He proceeds to make sure it's okay with the other patrons by, like, paying for a round of drinks and being just an arrogant dick. Like, I just... This is the type of shit that makes me go, like, why do you have any interest in this man? I don't understand it. Yeah, it's like peak, like, Mike Bloomberg, New York, capitalism like donald yes. trump yes you know, showmanship it's deeply unlikable even carrie uh has a problem yeah. with it um and it's and then the i don't know the, the show kind of posits it like it's like he's charismatic and like yeah. a, charming everyone in the room when he's offering to buy everybody drinks but it's like so hateful and like the worst thing about like New York city is kind of exhibited in this scene. Yeah. And like, you've got this, this hot young waitress who's like kind of taken with it and thinks like it's kind of charming. Yeah. You're just like, fuck off. Like this guy's a tool. Like if you saw this guy in a restaurant and he came up to, first of all, if a guy tried to smoke a cigar in a restaurant, like fuck off. <laughs> like I, it just, every Especially part of it was just gross. Especially. Now. Yeah. Um, and and it essentially it leads to a, it leads to um them walking outside the restaurant he's still smoking the cigar he then like you know it, there's times where he's literally straining his neck to look at these women as they walk by yeah carrie gets upset and pretends as though she's upset about the cigar and not about him looking at women so he throws away the cigar and all of this is just like it's it's really interesting because it feels like this whole season is just hammering home this idea that Carrie keeps changing herself for big. That she's constantly trying to bend to his will. And with each episode, I ask myself the same question, why? Why would you bend to this man's will? I don't understand it. But anyway. Uh, it's such it, a great question, yeah. you know? And it's like, what, what, what is Carrie's wounds? Like the show kind of never really gets into it. You never really see her relationship with her parents. You never meet anybody and she doesn't have any family. Like I, I, I you know, maybe the Carrie diaries, if, if we watched that, we would, we would understand who Carrie is better. But I like the, the Carrie itself, diaries. She's like kind of this weird, fully formed, so but you don't know anything um, about why she is the way she is. Obviously Carrie hates herself. 
And that's why she's so attracted to Big because he makes her feel bad about herself and she wants to feel bad about herself. And when she's in a relationship where she's actually like supported and loved by like sweet dear Aiden. to do that for her that's my hot take on it that's completely fair that's completely fair i i you know i it's it's one of those things where you know we'll get to we'll get to a big scene at the end but there's a part of me that's like they give you just enough periodically Mm -hmm. to make me go like oh okay like they do have something now, I don't think that that something is worth nurturing to the extent that Carrie does, obviously. Yeah. But the point, I guess, ultimately is the guy's got just enough of a kernel, like enough of a hook in her that you're like, okay, I guess I sort of get it. But it's also like, have some self-respect, like love yourself enough to not keep going back to this abusive, you know, emotionally abusive relationship. Um Anyway, then we get some more man on the street talking to the camera shit, which I hate and am thoroughly just <laughs> thrilled. Oh, you don't like it. that? Oh, God, it's terrible. terrible. I like it. No. Give me really? some, like, old New Yorker who's, like, a bit after a law and order being like, I don't like what he does this. It's so, it's great. I, yeah, I'm glad they got rid of it by the end of this season. It just, it feels like, you know, I spoke earlier about real estate. It just feels like a waste, a waste of, of space in your script, you know, get rid of the man on the street, get rid of the second date with Mike and you could have had a a Samantha storyline. Exactly. I I just, yeah. Um, So then Charlotte blows Mike off because she's like, I can't handle your penis to which he says, don't worry, I'm getting a circumcision. She says, great, <laughs> I'm willing to wait. Like, it's an insane scene. Every part of it's insane. Every um, part of it's insane. There's literally no response to that that makes no s- If a man told me, like, hey, I know that my weird penis is a deal breaker, so I'm getting an adult circumcision for you, and I hope this relationship can work. I wouldn't be like, that sounds great. I'm willing to wait. I'll see you next week. Maybe we can have dinner. Kiss, walk into my apartment. I would be like, what the hell is going on? This is the craziest thing that's ever happened to me. I can't stop talking about it. I'm going to talk to every single person I know and tell them that this person is insane. And I'd be like, don't. Don't do it. We hardly know each other. We've been on like three dates. I'm not worth like you deforming your adult penis. Like what is going on? Yeah, I mean, I guess my question ultimately to you is going to be whether or not you'd be flattered by it. No. (laughs) I would not be flattered by it. I would be, like, so weirded out. It would make me deeply uncomfortable. It it makes me feel like Charlotte kind of gets what she deserves at the end. (laughs) You know what I mean? totally. He wanted to do it yeah, she's just like a bargaining chip to, to make this decision. Um, yeah, I just, there's there's a part of me that's like, so basically at the end of the episode, uh, he gets the circumcision, they have sex. She's like, I love your penis now. And he's like, I have to share my <laughs> penis with others because look at how great it is. And we yeah. can't, we, you know, we're not, we're not going to be, um, 
I can't be serious with you, um, which feels appropriate in the sense that I'm just like, Charlotte, if you, if you needed, desperately needed an uncircumcised penis to this degree, um, <laughs> then you deserve to be dumped for it. Yeah, I mean, Charlotte yeah. has to roll with things. I mean, that's, yeah. that's her character arc in general. Um, you know, Harry is kind of the uncircumcised penis of, of men, maybe. Well, he's definitely circumcised. He's definitely yes. circumcised, but he's like, he's a little rougher around the edges, you know? <laughs> <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah, he um, is. And that's why yeah. I love him. Yeah. Oh, he's the greatest. Um, he's the best. Uh, so now uh, Steve and Miranda wake up in the morning and he's trying to cuddle with her. And she's like, it's a Saturday. I have shit to do. How long do you want to cuddle for? And he's like, you want a time limit? And she's like, well, I, I have things I have I'm to do. I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. Wh- where do you fall on this? Are you pro cuddling? Are you against it? Do you need to know that there's a time limit? Do you, how do you feel about this? No, I'm like a human woman that that would never put a time limit on cuddling. Like some of these deal breakers on this show are so insane to me. And yeah, I mean, I would be just, I'm so desperate for physical intimacy of any kind right now in the middle of a quarantine that if someone was like, I, w- I would never say that. I'm, I'm, I'm pro uncircumcised people and, and pro cuddling and, you know. I mean, to your point, I feel like we're all pro anything right now since we're trapped <laughs> inside. That it's, it, I'm pro anti- serial killer. I mean, whatever. Anti cigar, so that's anti anti smoking for sure. Yeah. Um, um, so, uh, oh, right. So then we go to the drag queen bingo. We talked about that, but can we just talk for a brief second about Miranda's outfit at the bingo? <laughs> like, there there are times when this show, and I'm I'm curious macro level what are your feelings on the fashion on this show because i think that more times than not i kind of don't notice but when i do notice it's extreme it's either like oh i really like that or that's a fucking disaster <laughs> but i, I don't know how you feel patricia field is a genius and yeah. um it's it's one of the most iconically styled shows you know in in television history sure. and she's an artist and the way that they kind of capture the sort of high-low street style of New York and also the identity of these women. I mean, it's implausible that, that Carrie could wear half of the things that she does, A, out of public, but also on like a writer's salary where she'd be making like $300 a week for that column. Um, and like one pair of Manolos would be like... Uh, half a year's salary. Plus yeah. her rent and it just, none of it makes any sense. 
but um, I, I I love the styling, and I think the more bigger they go with things, the better. Obviously, the clothes get like more specific and kind of more um, uh, grandiose and kind of yes. romantic and expensive towards the end. Especially when she goes to Paris at the end and she wears all that amazing um, couture. But um, yeah, I mean, I love it's campy. It's always been a campy show, and uh, I think the more they push that, like the better. And um, I guess what I what I mean is that sometimes the clothes, um, unfortunately, are a little dated. I'm I'm all for. Uh, boldness and taking like big swings. But every now and then I'm just like, did we wear that much neon in the late nineties? It just feels <laughs> like there's a lot of like very sort of aggressive colors, but that, that's neither here nor there. But um, the one thing that I wanted to say uh, in addition to everything we said, obviously about the drag queen scene is uh, Miranda complains about having to change for Steve, which I yes. think is a, is a, is an interesting thing to sort of unpack for a second. Cause Obviously, it's the theme of the episode, but it's also very much a part of Miranda's character. It's very much, quite frankly, a part of all of these characters. Um, it doesn't feel like, you know, Charlotte certainly doesn't want to change for Mike, and he's going to extremes to change for her. <laughs> um, you know, Samantha is not thrilled with Brad's change, uh, and and Carrie is aggravated by Big's lack of change. Um and now Miranda's complaining about Steve sort of trying to make her change. Um, you know, I, I, I appreciate Miranda's stance on things. I love that she is a fighter for her own sort of little bubble. Yeah. Um, but I also appreciate um, the last line of this episode, which we'll get to when we get there in the VO. But just sort of the, um, you know, this, uh, this intractability that she has is a is a pro and a con which i think is interesting yeah well there's so little dignity to being a single woman in your 30s trying to date in a major city so i think any shred of independence or kind of self-respect or ownership these Mm -hmm. women can have um over their own selves like i think it is makes them feel empowered Mm -hmm. um but, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of the changes in this episode that we're talking about, the sacrifices, are really about the other person. Like, yeah. Mike's circumcision is not about Charlotte. It's about him. And um, Brad's choice to become Samantha, you know, Samantha was never a part of that. Um, and, and and Big isn't giving uh, Carrie anything. Like, I think mm-hmm. the best scene in the episode is that incredibly vulnerable scene where Carrie goes to see big on the couch and offers this ice after she's accidentally punched him in the face because he wouldn't, you know, even move an inch out of bed and literally like pushes her out of bed. Literally kicks her out of his bed. Yeah. Yeah. And she, you know, goes to him and she says like, look, like I'm feeling insecure. I recognize that I'm, this isn't attractive, but I'm, this is how I feel. And like, I need you to offer some kind of assurance that like you care about me. And he literally doesn't, he literally like makes a joke. (laughs) At her expense, kind of makes fun of her, doesn't literally say anything reassuring or affirming in any way. And then she just goes like, hey, I'm going to go now. And he's like, see ya. I'm just like a charming guy. And like, maybe Big is the kind of person that like can't have emotional conversations in the moment and like needs to process something. And then at the end, he does go to her apartment Mm -hmm. and stays at her place for the first time. And and you see Mm -hmm. like she's kind of changed him too. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, uh, 
it's not a good relationship. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I mean, ultimately it's not a good relationship. And, and, and I do think that, you know, I, 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 I constantly kind of talk about big out of both sides of my mouth. Cause there's a part of me that's like, you know, so, so much of his character, I find pretty unlikable. Um, but I also think that every now and then he'll do or say something that makes me go like, okay, maybe. But he shows up at her house. And even when he's being sweet, he finds a way to be a dick a little bit where he's just yes. like, you know, I get that you need a key to feel like I'm crazy about you. Um, but I've given out a lot of keys and those keys don't come back. And I'm sorry that I kicked you out of my bed, but it's my bed. And you're just like, dude, like, just fucking eat crow. Like, can you just admit your faults? Like, admit what you did was wrong? Like, he's just, he's so just, I don't know. I find it, I find it really frustrating. And that scene's a perfect example of she wakes up in the middle of the night. She's bringing him ice. She feels bad. You know, she's opening herself up. She's putting herself out there in a way that she acknowledges is what I think she says uh, women's magazines would would recommend she not do, which is be honest about her situation um, and how she feels. And he kind of smacks her down for it. And then even when he shows up at her apartment, she sees the black eye that she gave him. And she's like, oh, my God, would you look at that? He's like, I've already seen it. It's for you to see it. I'm just like, I know. What is your problem? <laughs> Well, I think that's why it's an interesting show in terms of like women's vulnerabilities and stuff because they're these women are very strategic. They're like mm-hmm. so smart. They're like capable, empowered New Yorkers that have managed to survive in the city for this long, and they mm-hmm. do want to have relationships. And the whole show is about this kind of search for love and um, a partner, and and having to be able to share your life with someone who gives you the whole kind of three sixty package of like great mm-hmm. sex and compatibility with your life and intimacy and also kind of loves and sees you and appreciates you for who you are. And I guess the big irony is that they already have that in their friendship, which is ultimately kind of the big loves of their lives, but they don't recognize that because they're always chasing guys with funky spunk or uh, weird penises or I don't know. Um, But aren't we all? And (laughs) (laughs) uh, but anyways, uh, I guess that's the thing, like, um, both Big and Carrie are, like, I think they're both attracted to kind of the idea of each other. Like, yeah. Carrie's so in love with the idea of what New- Big represents. He kind of represents New York as a city to her, I think, mm-hmm. in so many ways. Mm-hmm. This kind of, like, he's like Frank Sinatra or, like, eating marinara sauce in, like, an Italian restaurant, like, and I don't think she's actually willing to see him as a real person because yeah. then she would have to actually recognize that he is someone who's never going to change for her, is never going to make any space for her in his mm-hmm. real life. And that they'll never really like be a part of anything together. He's, he's not like going to be a partner for her. Mm-hmm. I, I, I completely agree. Maybe after like six seasons <clears throat> of the show, they kind of, wear each other down enough to like actually kind of concede that they can, you know, mature and grow up enough, but they've hurt like so many people in the process. The, the, the Carrie big relationship, especially having rewatched the films um, for the first time <laughs> in a long time recently. Uh, it, it's, I mean, and I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the movies, but um, even just sort of the end of the series, it, I mean, it, it's quite the journey they go on. Uh, it's, a, it is a journey of, of, of self-discovery to a certain degree, and I do think that they grow, but 
not a ton. Like, it's kind of shocking how little growth they actually do have by the end of the show. He stands, he literally stands her up at her own wedding. Sort of. But yes. He does. He stands her up at her own wedding. Um, Then she, like, literally has such a mental breakdown that she has to become a brunette for a while and hire (laughs) Jennifer Hudson as a personal assistant. (laughs) Like, she needs a personal assistant. Yeah. Um, Like... Oh, fuck. Like, it's just... And then he comes back. And then in the second movie, which is just uh, totally atrocious and, like, shouldn't even be considered part of the canon... Um, they're like this bickering old couple and she's mad and resents him because he like bought her like a nice TV and didn't buy her like the right ring that she wants. Like it just, they'll never, it'll always be something with the two of them. Like, and then the, the truth, they, they get off on hurting each other. Like that's the real mm-hmm. undercurrent of their relationship. The tragedy so, of the second movie is what they do to Aiden's character. Yeah! Oh, man. In the spice market. Her illicit kiss with him in the... In the spice market. By the way, just ditches him. Hear from him again. She potentially destroyed his marriage. And you're just like, (laughs) I just don't understand what happened. That's so true. Yeah, yeah. She did destroy his marriage. She did cheat on her husband. Um, whatever, you know, but, but that's the thing. Like, I think Carrie is the kind of person, if she's not like actively hurting people or being hurt, then she feels like the relationship that she's in isn't valuable. Oof, that's, she that's dark. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, so at the end of the episode, we have a very nice scene, um, which the show very rarely does, which yeah. the episode ends on Miranda. It's Generally true. speaking, the shows generally end on Carrie. Understandably, she's the protagonist. Uh, last scene of the episode, Miranda can't sleep. It's around 2 a.m. Steve calls her from a payphone. Don't you miss payphones? Yeah, uh, he asks her to go to the window and look at the blue moon. He tells her how rare it is. Miranda gives in and tells Steve to come over after work. And then on the VO, Carrie says, so maybe you can't change a man, but once in a blue moon, you can change a woman. Yes. It's so beautiful. It's great. It's great. And they make passionate love. And she's an hour <laughs> late for work. And she doesn't care. She doesn't care. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. Um, you know, it's it's. This is one of those things. I mentioned it last week. I'll mention it again. I imagine that, and you've been in auditions, but you know what it's like when you see two actors that just have an immediate chemistry. And uh, David Egenberg and and Cynthia Nixon have something intangible yeah. that's lightning in a bottle. Um, oh. And you know, I would argue is is perhaps one of the most interesting relationships on the show. You know, yeah. they, they, they they parse him out very smartly. She obviously gets pregnant. She has this kid, which keeps him in her orbit um, until ultimately they end up together at the end of the series. And then we just will pretend that the next two movies uh, don't exist when it comes <laughs> to their characters. But, um, but I do think that they have something that just... It's it's just it's a, a perfect will they won't they a perfect water and oil that they have that I just that I adore. Um, so you know this is uh, I love that like we get to see them in their you know heyday in this moment that they get together. Oh yeah, it's so romantic. I mean, it it does remind me a lot about I think the most important relationship advice that Sex and the City gave to all people, which is that mm-hmm. he's just not that into you. <laughs> um, book sure. and episode, which mm-hmm. I love. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, I think about the show a lot and whether or not it like self trained a generation of women to sort of 
hold out for their own Mr. Big or even valorize those kinds of guys. Mm -hmm. And if that was actually like a really dangerous thing to do for the culture and how much like as much as women are getting the wrong messages, because Carrie's like the thinking man or thinking woman's like stand in for the audience, these kind of smart Mm -hmm. self-aware women who are watching the show that want the things that she wants. But it's like, if the show wants you to root for her ending up with Mr. Big, isn't that like so dangerous for everyone? You know, it's it's funny you say that because I remember um, Lena Dunham was interviewed um, at the end of season one of the show. And she said that uh, a, a teenage fan or a female fan reached out to her and said, I can't wait for Hannah to find her Mr. Big. <gasps> and yeah. Lena said, oh, sweetheart, I think she has. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and that idea that like Adam Driver is sort of I guess her Mr. Big in some fucking way. I mean that shows a very different show. But I'm just speaking to exactly the notion you're talking about, which is people projecting that type of relationship or that type of man onto a show that, quite frankly, outside of having four female characters, was and took place in New York, didn't necessarily have a lot of similarities to Sex in the City. But it's it's just interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because I think we were so used to seeing it the opposite way where men are chasing after this unavailable woman who, Mm -hmm. you know, becomes this prize for them and they have to fight and and change for for them to sort of be able to capture this beautiful woman and marry her. And in this show, it's the opposite. It's from a female perspective. And she's just like chasing Mr. Big down so hard episode after episode after episode. Yeah. Um, And and he will never budge. I mean, and she allows him to kind of destroy her life for basically two seasons. Like, they become friends in season four, thankfully. But, like, yeah. three, she finds a man who loves her, cares about her, is a good human. She cheats on him because Big Wants comes running. Wants to marry her. Yeah. 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 I know. It's, 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 it is horrible. But, I mean, it's like, I, I relate to that so much. Um, <laughs> I really? do. Oh, Yeah. Um, I can see how a man would destroy the better half of your 30s. Um, <laughs> that's, that's so sad. I know. But I think it does happen. And I think it's it shows like this that, you know, romanticize that chase, which is like yeah. deeply messed up. I, and I would, I would if just to, to put the male perspective on this for a second too, you know, I, I think men enjoy, the, speaking for myself, enjoy the chase just as much as women do. I think that, I think that as a species, we are unfortunately, we are never satiated. It is our curse and our blessing, right? Which is that we are constantly striving for something, um, which is good yeah. to have motivation, to be ambitious, to push yourself. And yet at the same time, also having a lust or a craving for something that you can never have is not a good thing either. No, and, and I think it, it relates to that kind of New York City culture as well. It's like, you like this restaurant? Well, there's 12 other restaurants that have opened up that you can't even get into. And that one <laughs> is in like the basement of a ferry on Staten Island that serves yep. like uh, this rare needs that yeah mm-hmm. only the one yeah. percent and kylie jenner yeah. can go through like yeah. that's like it's a great. metaphor for all of these relationships right um so rumor has it there's a special guest that also wants to <laughs> come on this episode oh yeah um do you want to introduce said guest of course it's my mother reggie levesque <laughs> noted sex in the city fan and self-proclaimed charlotte Hey, Reggie, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Oh, lovely to meet you as well. Lovely to meet you. So um, where, I where wanted... I'm in, uh, I'm in Los Angeles. Lucky you. 
Uh, depends on how you look at it. Uh, we've got a we got a couple uh, COVID cases here more than you guys do, so it's uh, you know, but it is what it is. Um, but here is uh, we Chandler and I have been talking about uh, episode two hundred nine, which I believe you guys watched earlier today or yesterday or something like that. Um, and I wanted to talk to you about what it is that you love about Sex and the City, um, why it's one of your favorite shows. Wow, well, let's see. Why do I love it? How much time do you have? Do you have a couple of days to talk? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen. I don't know. When I got nowhere to be. When it first came out, um, the first season, I think I had just turned 40. Oh, wow. So, wow. you know, I'd been married for a long time because um, I got married when I was 24. Um, I already had two kids. Sort of inkling of a show like that before that I had also really, truly loved was a show called Melrose Place, which was also <laughs> sure, a Darren sure. Star production. It was, it was. Right? So I knew Darren Star, and I love Melrose Place because it was a big soap opera that took place in a in an apartment building, which is uh-huh. kind of similar to my own life. So, uh, and there was all this drama, and so when I heard Darren Star was gonna make another show, I was all excited because I was like, oh my god, is it gonna be like Melrose Place? So I was thrilled, but it wasn't really like Melrose Place. It was <laughs> different. It was, you know, there were only four. Char- He's loving this, right? Yeah, <laughs> there were only great. four real central characters mm-hmm. instead of like ten or twelve characters, and yeah, they were true. all women, and they were smart women, and they had fantastic clothes, and they had the Jimmy Choo shoes, which I'm a big fan of. Sure. And you know, it was New York, which is like my my ultimate dream place that I love, love, love. So didn't you relate to the characters and the women and the friendship and stuff? Yeah. I love that they were four gals who would have brunch every Saturday and talk about their lives. And um, I love that you got to know each of them in their own way. Like you got to know Carrie. Although what happened with Carrie? Did she not have a family? Like that's what I was That was, we were talking about that. Yeah. Carrie in New York. Like was there ever a show where her mom and dad came to visit her? I know. Or, or like sister came to stay for the weekend. The like, only even, like, an old friend that yeah, isn't like, one of these other never, friends ever knew anything about Carrie, which was always like this mystery. Like who is Carrie, who is really? Carrie? Well, she I there mean, was there was an episode in in season five with Ron Rifkin at Vogue where like yeah. it kind of hinted at her daddy issues a little bit. She had like an old photo of him, oh, and yeah, she kind of talks a little bit about that she never really knew her dad. Um, but that's all we get. That's all we get. I mean, part of it is, I'll, I'll, I'll say, and, you know, uh, Chandler and I were talking about this a little bit earlier, you know, when you're doing a half hour, you, you only have so much real estate, you only have so much time. Um, so they tend to sort of focus on shorter stories, less kind of backstory. But I agree with you. I, I you know, the episodes that, that are some of my favorite episodes, you know, when, when Miranda's mother dies is one of my favorite episodes, because that really gives you kind of the heft. Yeah. Yeah, and I always I like that kind of knowing a bit more personal stuff mm-hmm. about characters. For sure, you know I have a lot of time to get. Well, into it's it's very situational. It's almost like a sitcom, yeah. right? Where it's yeah. like they have a very clear like a story, b story, c story, yeah. d story, and yeah, they don't have time to really They'll go into their. It's not like a. I feel like if this show was made now, they would mm-hmm. do all of that stuff, and it'd be like 100%. a hundred percent different kind of show. But it's like very light and, and kind of like impersonal almost. It's only entirely like what 
who the guy they're seeing that week and mm-hmm. what his issues are. And one What's, story, yeah, please. Always, I always felt like one story they never really got into too much. The three, there's usually three stories they did a lot on, but then one story kind of only a little bit. Like somebody always got like shafted a little bit. It's, it, yeah, so there's a little bit of that. So at, at the end of every episode, I've been I've been asking my guests uh, who their favorite character on the show is and why. And it doesn't need to be the four main characters; it can be any character on the show. Uh, we've had we've had lots of people uh, talking about you know Magda, for instance, uh, has come up and various other characters. But um, what are your favorite characters and why? Well, I have to go with Charlotte because I always thought. <laughs> Like of all the characters, if I had to be one of them, I would relate to Charlotte. I mean, not that I really look like Charlotte. I'd love to look. You do look like Charlotte when she's crying and has no makeup on. Oh, that's true. Um, But I don't know. I think I relate to Charlotte because she kind of, she was really the one who wanted, like, she really wanted to get married. She wanted to stop dating. I think there's mm-hmm. one, there's a show where she goes, she gets all mad about it. Oh, yeah, it. she's like, where is he? Like, That's a I've beautiful been monologue. since I was 15. Yeah, where is he at the self-help feminist seminar. And then they're like, well, if you wish harder enough, maybe you're not mm-hmm. wishing hard. And then Carrie's mm-hmm. like, she's wishing hard. <laughs> <laughs> she's wishing. She's out there. That's what they said. They're like, maybe she's mm-hmm. not really out there. Like, she's mm-hmm. out there. She's so desperate to get married that, like, she meets her husband when he gets hit by a car that she caused the accident for him to get hit by a car, right? When she meets Trey, right? She literally looks down at him and he's in the street Mm because he gets hit by a car. That's how they meet, right? So Mm -hmm. she's so desperate, she'll get a guy hit by a car and get married. Trey does, by by extension, does lead her to Harry. Just uh, it takes the long way to get there. But yeah, that's so true. And their marriage is like ridiculous, right? Like it's just that he's a doctor, so it's the whole status thing. And she got the apartment on Park Avenue. It's all the yeah. Charlotte things that Charlotte needs to have, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So she got all those things, but realized she still wasn't happy. Like she had a husband who had no time for her, who couldn't get it up, and. You know, she's had all these other problems, right? So, well, they all kind of get this. A lot of them get this guy that, like, like it's like Charlotte and or Samantha and Richard, right? Like he's mm-hmm. like her soulmate in so many ways. You know, it doesn't work out between them either because, yeah. like, they kind of parallel it. But then she ends up with Jared, who's like crazy. Yeah, it's it is interesting what what you're saying, Chandler. This idea of of. Uh, this idea of getting what you think you want and it's not what you want, I think is a pretty recurring theme on the show for sure, which is that, you know, you, you got to look deeper inside yourself to be with the person you're meant to be with. And compromise, like making sessions, right? Like Harry's Mm -hmm. not anything Charlotte thought that she would want on paper, but then I think he's the best character on the show and certainly the best boyfriend and and partner. Wait, who, which one? Harry. Harry. Yeah. He's great. He's I best. love Harry so much. But, but especially when he wears his white shirt. He looks so sexy in that white shirt. <laughs> what does the shirt look like? It's a it's just a plain white shirt. Like he, a t-shirt? No, it's a, it's a it's a man's shirt. Okay. And he wears it in a scene that I love this scene. I'm gonna bring it up because it, it mm-hmm. really makes sense here. So him and him and Carrie Oh god, she's been talking about this my entire life. So she says this like once I a love week. This scene. They're in a restaurant, they're having drinks, and they're just talking about their relationship, uh-huh. right? And it's after Carrie's been really bad because she slept with Big and, and is smoking again, even though she's saying she's not smoking, right? 
And he says, and he's wearing the white shirt. And he looks <laughs> adorably so cute in that shirt. So, and he's saying to her that, like, he just wants to make room for her in his life. He wants to insert her into his life. Whereas Big is kicking, literally kicking her out of his bed. He can't make room for her. So but here's true. a guy who wants to literally make room for her. And she can't. Like, she just... No, it, that whole episode's about him making her a closet in her apartment. Because isn't he moving in or something into her apartment? And then... Uh, <laughs> you guys, you're pulling from multiple episodes. So I'm trying <laughs> to figure out, like, what's happening. But yeah, I, th- I think I think I know what you're it's talking about. It's all one long Sex in the City, like, fever <laughs> And also, when we watch it, we watch, like, six in a row. Yeah, so we I, watch a lot. Like, we binge yeah. watch. So then we get all... Then we lose touch of reality. It's it is. I'll say this: of of all the shows that that I've binged m- multiple times, this is a show that you can truly sit down and watch like ten episodes of it. It goes by very quickly. You can watch yeah, them over and over and never really be bored of them, even though you've seen them many times. You'll get something yep. else out of it. You go, oh, that's right. I didn't. I didn't remember that. That's true. That. And as you change, the show changes. Like I think, yeah, you have a relationship to it because. You know, well, you're six years older too. By yeah. the time you started watching it, like by the time I started wa- finished watching, I was like 46, right? Interesting. So, I, I, I it, it should be said too. You know, I think that the show has, you know, it has a reputation for being perhaps superficial. I don't think that it is, and I and I would argue that you know, I, I've I've interviewed a couple of the writers from the show, Amy B. Harris and and Cindy Chupak, and and you know talking with them about the process that went into the show, the depth that they were trying to bring to it, their real life experiences that they were bringing to it. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to be dismissive of a show that is quite frankly, this much fun to watch and, and can, and is so sort of like aesthetically pleasing um, and not think about, and Chandler, you know this obviously better than anybody, the, the amount of time and effort that goes into writing characters, making sure that they feel lived in um, yeah. and that they can, you know, you know, have that depth. Well, I think it's also dismissive because it's actually about women's lives and we've never seen that before on television where like female characters are exclusively featured. It's a, They're the protagonists of the show. The male yeah. characters are incidental. The male characters can be swapped in and out in exchange for well, other guys. Yeah, they can be totally interchangeable. And they're, like you said, and these women are very flawed and complex and not always likable and selfish. <laughs> and, 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 and they're the ones who are discarding men for arbitrary reasons sometimes like they're not mm-hmm. giving these guys a chance and that was like extremely um unusual for for the time and completely groundbreaking and i still think it is I, I i think it's one of the many reasons why this show you know not just holds up but why people still talk about it why it was so groundbreaking at the time um you know w- what it's given us you know we, we talked a little bit chandler about girls which is you know obviously a show that couldn't exist without sex in the city it's a very different show but i think it's interesting to see how it's it's uh led the way for that stuff yeah for sure yeah girls. Yeah, girls girls are great. <laughs> but the girls are young that was what they were going to put on the poster <laughs> yeah so uh, i'd be marnie okay i would be marnie okay, okay. <laughs> i don't know that marnie's marnie's a prickly character just for what it's worth i know but i but, I marnie the way that i relate to charlotte marnie is tethered charlotte 
excited. That's an amazing way of looking at it. That is really (laughs) funny. That's great. Well, I want to thank you both for taking the time for coming on and talking about Sex and the City with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. This is our first podcast. It is. Oh, wow. Virgin podcast. But it was fun. I was a little bit nervous, but... Now I feel like fantastic and I could do this. No reason. You're like born to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No reason to be nervous. You want to talk Uh, about Melrose Place now? (laughs) (laughs) By the way, we will be doing a Melrose Place episode. So, you know, because Melrose Place, uh, Melrose Place ended in 1999. So that was, uh, so there you go. But um, I, obviously, I would love to uh, have you both back uh, for another episode of something, whatever it is, down the road. But uh, thank you so much for, for, for doing this. Yeah, thank you, Most Phil. welcome. Most was- welcome. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. So, Melrose Place, let me know. <laughs> One last thing. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989. Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's 1999. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's 1999. Uh, thank you so much to Ernie and Will for producing our episodes, Sullivan for our social media, Yon Katas for our amazing art and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Like it's 